This episode of the Outer Limits podcast is dedicated to the memory of Sally Kellerman, the incredibly talented actress who appeared in the season one episodes The Human Factor and The Bellero Shield. She was 84 years old. You are listening to the Outer Limits podcast with your host, nothing wrong with your television set. Do not attempt to adjust the picture. We are controlling transmission. We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. We can change the focus to a soft blur or sharpen it to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit quietly and we will control all that you see and hear. You are about to participate in a great adventure. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the outer limits. Of all the things you choose in life, you don't get to choose what your nightmares are. You don't pick them, they pick you. That's a quote from American novelist John Irving. Tonight we're gonna witness a nightmare unfold before our eyes. The unlucky participant in this instance is a man by the name of Wade Norton, just an average guy driving down the road, seemingly carefree, until the nightmare chooses him. Tonight on our journey through the Outer Limits, we're going to take a detour from the science fiction we've grown accustomed to, and we'll be returning to the gothic horror we haven't seen since Don't Open Till Doomsday, an episode which also happens to feature actress Nellie Burt, who appears in tonight's tale. But that's not the only deviation occurring tonight. To this point, we've had Vic Perrin's control voice guide us into, and except for two instances, out of each episode. Tonight, however, we are rudderless. The control voice has no presence in tonight's tale. Instead, we find ourselves drifting into the end of one horrific story, which quickly leads into another one. As a result, it feels like we're in a bad dream that we can't pull ourselves out of, which I actually found to be a welcome change of pace. It's been a while since I used the term breather episode, and granted our last few episodes weren't the most action-packed, but tonight's episode is a bit slower in pace, which not only enhances the dreamlike quality, but also gives us more time to steep in the tension of it all. I'll point out my favorite scenes when we get to them. Now, I will be spoiling tonight's episode, so if you haven't seen it, you can find it on Blu-ray from the good folks at Kino Lorber. And speaking of where you can find the show, I was beyond excited to see that the original Outer Limits has returned to television in the UK. Talking Pictures TV is airing the show in order every Friday night at 8 o'clock. It's been fun watching folks share their memories on Twitter each week. Hopefully the show will reach new eyes with this run. You know, our corner of television fandom isn't the biggest, so I'll celebrate every bit of news that we get. So visit TalkingPicturesTV.co.uk for channel info, and join the party. Now, let's sit quietly and enter the world of tonight's tale, The Guests. Directed by Paul Stanley with assistance from Claude Binion Jr. Based on a teleplay titled An Ordinary Town by Charles Beaumont. 
Director of Photography, Kenneth Peach. This episode aired for the first time on Monday, the 23rd of March, 1964. We open on a smoky wooded area where a figure hastily emerges and comes into focus. The figure is revealed to be a frightened old man. He frantically runs through the smoky woods and finally reaches the road where he trips and falls onto the ground. He looks over in fright and we see a giant brain on the hilltop he just ran from. We see this giant brain transform into a two-story Victorian house as the old man rolls back over, face down, on the road. The poor soul in this scene is played by actor Burt Mustin, who got his start in show business hosting a weekly variety show for the radio station KDKA in Pittsburgh in 1921. With 208 credits on his IMDb, it's no wonder his face is very familiar when I first saw him. Included in those credits are appearances in Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Peter Gunn, Leave It to Beaver, Batman 66, as well as two stops in the Twilight Zone. One in the Season 2 episode, Night of the Meek, and the other in the Season 3 episode, Kick the Can. He's one of those actors you would always see in elderly roles, which would make you wonder if he was ever young which is pretty funny. We then get our introduction to Wade Norton driving down the road in his convertible when he discovers the old man lying on the side of the road. He pulls over immediately to investigate. He tells the old man to save his strength while he goes to find help. As Norton walks into the woods, the old man shakes his head and struggles to speak, but no words come out. He looks to the hilltop where we see the giant brain once again transform into the two-story Victorian house. With a sad, defeated expression on his face, the old man rests his head and turns to dust. As Norton ventures deeper into the woods, smoke begins to creep in. He discovers a pocket watch on the ground. Inside it is a picture of a young woman. At this point, I want to call to attention the score of this sequence. In her book, We Will Control All That You Hear, The Outer Limits and the Aural Imagination, Dr. Reba Wisner points out that we hear the alien before we ever see it, and that according to the script, we do not see what the old man is fleeing, but we hear its sound, pulsing, like a giant heartbeat. As Wade looks for some sound of dwelling, he hears the first low pulse beat sound, a sound which seems to beckon him up the path a sound which chills yet intrigues him. As Wade ventures toward the hilltop, the eerie pulse beat grows louder. Of course we heard this small section of music before and the mice, but here the eerie pulse beat repeats for far longer, which slowly brought upon that ill at ease feeling I get from the best Outer Limits episodes. And really the music is doing all the heavy lifting in this sequence. Apart from the brief exchange between Wade and the old man, there isn't very much dialogue for the first seven minutes of the episode. The shot from the window as Wade approaches the house is one of my favorite scenes of the episode. The pulse beats slowly grow louder as we see the curtains part and then close. This is one of those instances where I really appreciated the slow pace of the episode. I was drawn in, much like Wade was drawn to the front door of that house. Now Wade Norton is played by actor Joffrey Horn, who appeared in The Bridge Over River Kwai, The Alfred Hitchcock Hour, Gunsmoke, and in the Adam Sandler comedy Big Daddy, where he played Old Man Sid. He did make a stop in The Twilight Zone where he played Williams, the alien in the season three episode, The Gift. 
I think he's a great actor. And with that jawline, dare I say, I think he would have made a great Superman for the time. The front door was left open, so Wade enters the home. This is where the nightmare feeling slowly creeps in, and I attribute that to Kenneth Peach's cinematography. As Wade navigates the empty home, each room is illuminated by a very small source of light, be it a simple lamp nearby or one in the adjacent room. And let's face it, Victorian decor already has a creepy vibe all its own, regardless of lighting. He walks in and out of the shadows, and when he's in the light, everything else is shrouded in darkness, which is a thing I always love from Conrad Hall episodes. Finally, Wade finds a young woman who appears to have fallen asleep reading in her chair. When he approaches her, she awakens and is startled by him. She runs off and Wade rushes after her, but when he turns the corner, all he sees is a vast expanse of darkness, with only three illuminated pillars in the foreground. He retreats to the room where he found the woman and discovers three people, two women and a man, watching him from a nearby doorway. I found an old man lying in the road. Uh, I came for help. You saw an old man? Yes. Lying in the road. Is that his watch you're holding? I think so. I, I found it in the brush. Uh, he needs attention. I'm afraid you've come to the wrong place, young man. Nonsense. Nonsense, nonsense, nonsense. The watch and the old man obviously have no connection. None whatsoever. Was he very old? Now listen, I came here for help. If you people don't want to help, that's perfectly all right. But may I at least use the phone to call the nearest hospital? There is no phone in this house. And that's that. I don't understand you people. There's an old man lying in the road. Oh, you'll understand us, young man, by and by. Woody Randall. Ethel. Was he very old? Yes, he was the oldest man I ever saw. Joffrey Horn was excellent in that scene. His bewilderment with the lack of empathy exhibited by those three strangers is genuine and believable. I am fully on board with this episode. The young woman introduces herself as Florida Patton, an actress, and in real life she is played by actress Gloria Graham, who first gained public recognition for her role as the adult Violet in the 1946 film It's a Wonderful Life. Unfortunately, that era of show business had its firmly established Hollywood star pattern, which Gloria didn't fit into, at least according to studio execs. As a result, she was bounced from MGM to RKO, where she encountered the same issue. Rumors circulated about her being difficult to work with, which led to her landing fewer film roles and spending most of the 1960s appearing only on television. Among those appearances are roles in The Fugitive, Burke's Law, and Iron Horse. She passed away in 1981 at the age of 57. Wade says to Florida, I feel like I'm having a bad dream. And he's right. This episode, which already had a bad dream quality to it, slowly drifting into nightmare territory. It called to mind the uneasiness I feel when I watch David Lynch films. Which is interesting because we have a very Black Lodge sequence coming up which really put me further into that headspace. We'll get there soon.
In the meantime, Wade has had enough with these people. He decides to help the old man himself and heads for the door, but he is stopped by the woman he saw earlier. She tells Wade that the old man is gone by now, that he is very kind for wanting to help. Wade opens the pocket watch he found earlier and says, This is you in the picture, isn't it? It's at this moment that we hear the faint sounds of pulse beats start to creep in. Florida looks toward the stairs with a very nervous look on her face. The pulse beats stop and the woman tells Wade that the old man has been dead for some time now and leaves the room. Wade turns his attention towards the three strangers once more. Tell him, Randall, you're the head of this house now. I will tell him nothing until I know precisely who he is. Somebody better tell me. What's your name? Drifter. You have that look about you. The look of a thing in movement. Not flight. Slow movement. But constant. Randall, tell the drifter and tell him at once. It's inhuman to send him up there without some sense of the horror. Stop it! We can't. You can't. Try. The male stranger is Randall Latimer, and he's played by prolific television actor Vaughn Taylor. He's got that face I feel like I've seen a bunch of times before, and a search through his IMDb credits revealed why that is. The man has 199 credits, spanning almost 30 years and starting at the very early days of television. Aside from his role as Janet Lee's boss in Alfred Hitchcock's classic Psycho, he also appeared in five episodes of The Twilight Zone, those episodes being Still Valley and I Sing the Body Electric from Season 3, The Incredible World of Horace Ford from Season 4, Season 5's The Self-Improvement of Salvador Ross, and one of my all-time favorites, Season 1's Time Enough at Last. He will return to the Outer Limits in the Season 2 episode, Expanding Human. As Wade heads toward the front door, the pulse beats return, and he is suddenly stopped dead in his tracks, and his whole body goes stiff. He begins to slowly walk backwards toward the stairs. You feel yourself being pulled, don't you? Against your will. What's happening? Don't be overly alarmed, young man. He isn't afraid. Are you, Drifter? Does he look frightened to you, Ethel? He looks perfectly pitiful. I think it's just awful. Awful, awful, awful. Help me. Somebody help me. You can't fight it, Drifter. I tried when my time came. We all did. It's useless. You can't outwit that thing. Wade begins to walk backwards, ascends the stairs, and finds himself in darkness once again. This is a very cool shot. And yet another David Lynch parallel that reminded me of a similar shot of John Nance from Eraserhead. This is where we get our creature reveal, and standing in the darkness is a large jelly-like alien. Of course we recognize the alien costume from the mice, minus the pinchers and legs, but I don't mind. In fact, I think it works better here than it did in the mice. Its head pulsates here, which I don't recall it doing in the mice, but here it really enhances the icky factor and adds to the ever-tightening nightmare vibe of tonight's episode. So we see Wade and the alien creature standing in darkness when the creature's face emits a light beam onto Wade's. It then begins to speak. <laughs> you feel fear. 
You feel anger as well. Where am I? What are you? You are in the control center of my searching self-universe. I am your host. Can you give me the answer? Answer? The missing vector, the unknown statistic, the factor that will balance the equation. The equation does not balance. That missing quantity may be in your experience. I will search your mind for it. No. You intend to resist? I don't know why. At least I have to try to resist it. What is this emotion you are transmitting? I have not encountered it until now. Everyone I've ever known has called it defiance. Much like the creature from Don't Open Till Doomsday, our creature here is searching for a missing component that determines the destiny of mankind. In my head canon, both creatures are trying to solve the same equation. The alien brain creature is voiced by Robert Johnson, the main man when it comes to disembodied voices in The Art of Limits. I had to double check his credits on the show because his voice reminded me so much of Ben Wright's as the Grippians from Moonstone. Johnson's performance makes the creature far more interesting than it was portrayed in The Mice. Funny enough, he voiced one of the Chromoites on the intercom in that episode. Here he speaks in a manner that almost feels like a Bond villain, which I love. I believe that this thing is in charge and everyone is powerless to stop it. When Wade returns to the others, he isn't sure exactly what had happened. They assure him that he will get used to it and may even come to enjoy the brain creature encounters. They fought it at first, but ultimately submitted, having their inner thoughts analyzed and calculated by the brain creature until they are eventually tossed out like garbage. Until then, they wait. The older woman then begins to speak to Wade. <laughs> My husband thinks that you and I and this fine actress are figments of his imagination. He expects to wake up one day and find himself right back where we were when this grisly dream started. It's the only sane explanation. We've been in this house since 1928. No dream could last that long. <laughs> he doesn't want to leave this house. You should try to curb your imagination, Ethel. The young man will realize that you're spiritually ill. I'm on my way to New York to attend a board meeting of my firm. I'm an investment broker, you see. He's going east to answer charges of fraud. Misconduct. When will you learn the difference? Self-deception. <laughs> self-deception, self-deception. And Miss Silent Movies here is voting east to do a talkie play. Been here since 1935. And a star since 1925. When talking pictures came in, my studio said my voice was difficult to record. <laughs> studio politics, naturally. They did me a favor when they allowed me to break my contract. The legitimate stage is the only temple for a legitimate actress. <sighs> I can't wait to step out onto that stage. Why don't you start by stepping out the front door? It's time I did. 
The older woman in the group is Ethel Latimer, and she is played by actress Nellie Burt, who we last saw in Don't Open Till Doomsday, where she played the wife of the Justice of the Peace. She got her start with an appearance in the 1919 action serial The Lightning Raider, which is also famous for giving Boris Karloff his on-screen debut as well. Nellie would appear in numerous serials throughout the 1920s before transitioning to television, where she appeared in episodes of The Big Story, My Three Sons, Dr. Kildare, The Eleventh Hour, and Bewitched. By the time she appeared in tonight's episode, she had already been in show business for over 40 years, and you can tell, especially by the way she carried that last scene, that she is a seasoned veteran and excellent at her craft. Watching her interaction with Gloria Graham in the last scene was fascinating, because at this point in her career, Graham was in show business about half as long as Nellie, and the line about studio politics and breaking contract was very telling, since that is exactly what led Graham to television in the first place. I wish I could have overheard the conversations the two must have shared off screen. Wade discovers that the front door is no longer there, and that the windows have all disappeared as well. Randall tells him that he is a prisoner, and that they are all prisoners of the brain creature upstairs. Everyone seems to have accepted this fact as Wade accuses, even enjoys it. Everyone, that is, except the young woman we met earlier. How long have you been here? I don't know. Can't be much more than 18 now. I'm not. Are we dreaming all this? I looked at your picture in the watch case. And I heard a pain in my heart that was the sweetest hurt in all the world. Is that when the dream began? It is a dream, isn't it? Does it matter? I can't submit to being trapped. Awake or dreaming. I can get myself into this madhouse. I can get myself out. Teresa Ames, or rather Tess, is played by actress Lana Anders, who began her career in show business as a bike messenger at MGM. Among her credits are appearances in The Andy Griffith Show, That Girl, Hawaii Five-O, Bonanza, and Easy Rider. One of her first roles was in a 1957 film, Reform Schoolgirl a film which also featured Outer Limits alumni, Sally Kellerman. During the filming of that feature, the two would strike up a friendship that would last until Andre's death in 1996 at the age of 58. Wade tries to find a way out, and we get my favorite sequence of the episode. He wanders into the dark corridor of pillars from earlier. Tess watches Wade as he passes the pillars and disappears into the darkness. He walks on a narrow path of light, that leads to three doors. He opens each one, revealing only darkness beyond them. He runs further down the path and finds himself in the corridor of pillars again. He backtracks past the three doors to nowhere and turns left this time only to find himself once again in the corridor of pillars. We can see Tess watching Wade run from a distance as he runs through a set of double doors and enters the piano room where Florida is pouring a drink. This whole sequence made me revisit the Black Lodge sequence from Twin Peaks to Revival, 
where Dale Cooper navigates the Black Lodge, only to find himself in the same narrow corridor of velvet curtains. I even posted a few screenshots comparing the two sequences on the podcast Twitter and Instagram if you want to check them out. I love the sequence more and more with every viewing. If we were slowly descending into nightmare territory before, we are on full freefall now. Florida says, interesting architecture, isn't it? Hallways and doors that lead to nowhere. How many did you count? Wade turns and sees Tess. You followed me. I saw you. Why? Why? Did you want to watch the mouse run through the maze? Is that how you get your enjoyment? I just didn't want you to be alone when you finally came up. (laughs) This is apparently all it takes for Wade to fall in love with Tess. From this point on, he acts as if he's been courting her for quite some time. It doesn't ruin the episode or anything, it's just a little weird for a second. Wade embraces Tess and gives her a kiss. She asks if he wants to leave, and he says yes. She leads Wade down a dark hallway to a single door and opens it, revealing a small graveyard on the other side. When they walk out, she points to a metal gate on the far side of the cemetery. Tess refuses to escape with Wade and insists he leave before it's too late. She says, Once it dissects you, you won't want to go. The door of the house swings open and the two walk inside and find themselves standing before the brain creature. It can sense the missing factor within Wade. It begins its attempt to dissect him. My head. Inside. It hurts inside. If I were a creature of your species, I would feel... Compassion. Let me go. No. Yes. You have projected a new factor into the equation. It is still unclear, however. Please. It hurts too much. All your feelings are becoming unclear. Does pain do that? Oblivion. from my exploration of the others. But it's new to you, isn't it? Will I be caged here now? Like Tess? Like the others? Forever? They are not caged. For each, there is a door to freedom. All they have to do is find it. Each knows where his door is. to leave then. They don't try to leave then. They don't try to leave then. Things are coming to a head now. Wade confronts the others. They know the way out of there. They just choose to remain. But why? We get another excellent performance from Nellie Burt. She tells Wade that he's chasing a rainbow no one believes in, much less sees. She then dresses down Florida and Randall, which ends with Florida in tears. Meanwhile, upstairs, the brain creature has had a revelation. 
It caught a brief glimpse of the answer it's been seeking. It needs more quiet contemplation to figure out what it was exactly. Randall searches for Tess through the dark halls. He runs down the endless rows of pillars before seeing her walk through a doorway. He finds her standing in the graveyard from earlier. Will you escape with me? Will you try? No, I can't. I don't believe that of you. I believe it of the others, but not of you. It's more true of me. Listen. The silence. It isn't watching. You can escape, Wade. Hurry. Alone? Yes, yes. Why? I can't go out there with you. I can't go beyond that gate. This is as far as I can go without being afraid. Tell me what you're afraid of. Tell me. Death. That man you found in the road. That old, old man. He was my father. The moment he stepped outside that gate, his years caught up with him. He became the 120-year-old man he really was. He was already dead, already dust before he left. But here, inside this dreamy nothingness, he at least seemed to be living, just as I seemed to be living. No, you're alive. Now, Tess, I know you're alive. Out there, my years are waiting for me. Don't let it happen to you, Wade. Save yourself while your life can still be lived, while it's real, while you're real. Why did you stay till it was too late? My father was a resigner. He saw this as a way of resigning from the human race. He asked me to stay with him. And I stayed because he needed me. You must have hated him for asking you that. No, I didn't. I, I was taught never to hate. Go now, Wade. Forget about me. How can I? I'm an illusion. They're so easy to lose. I want to lose them. I want to believe in you. I want to love you. I'll stay with you here forever. I can't let you do that. There's nothing you can do or say to drive me out. Oh, yes, there is. Tess walks through the gate and covers her face, revealing a set of hands that are now wrinkled and frail. Wade watches in horror, and though we don't see exactly what happens, the implication is that Tess turns to dust and blows away in the wind, just like her father did. 
I really like the way they handled this sequence. The way Tess slowly drops out of frame as the wind picks up. Wade clutches the pocket watch and closes the gate. He has resigned himself to living life in the purgatory of the house. He says, there is nothing out there for me. Suddenly the brain creature enters Wade's thoughts. Yes, Mr. Norton, there is nothing out there now that you have it inside yourself. Something. What? What is it? The single factor I was searching for. The one note in the human symphony that will forever make impossible man's final self-destruction. Go out of this dream, Mr. Norton. Close your eyes to illusion. The real factor is out there. Love is out there. You will take it out there with you when you go. Wade opens the gate and walks out. We see the others playing cards at the table when the lights begin to flicker. Suddenly everyone stands up and screams in terror. Everyone except for Ethel, who just laughs the whole time. Outside, Wade looks back at the house as it morphs into the giant brain once again before disappearing altogether. He then enters the woods, heading towards his car, and our nightmare comes to an end. And that's it. We get our sign-off and the episode ends. In his book, The Outer Limits Retrospective, Tom Baxter had the following to say about the guests. This is one of the more surreal episodes the strange visual vignettes often make the guests fascinating. Wade meeting the alien is wonderfully bizarre. The guest is slightly difficult to explain, but it's a good little episode that is well worth watching. And I'm with Tom on this one. I definitely think the episode is worth watching. I was enamored with the surreal aspects as well as the dreamlike state throughout, and that is thanks in large part to Nellie Burt's performance. Watching her revel in belittling her housemates as well as her glee as Wade spiraled into madness made me increasingly uncomfortable. And even though we got a recycled creature costume, Robert Johnson's performance was so great that it didn't take long for me to forget about the chromoids. The fact that this episode lacks a control voice gives it its own unique vibe which separates it from the rest so far. Overall, I think it's an excellent episode that I will recommend to others and will definitely rewatch down the line. We now go to David J. Scow's The Outer Limits Companion to sharpen the image with some trivia. Claude Binion Jr. had the following to say about the episode's Corridor of Lights. We literally built that set with lights. We used a piece of glass about 10 inches by 6, representing a set that would have been about 80 by 20 feet. The corridors were painted glass. We had to film very carefully because any camera motion would have caused our quote-unquote set to shake all over. Kenny Peach came up with the idea. Donald Sanford wrote no control voice speech. Usually those were tacked onto the script, he said. They didn't do it with mine. I think they just forgot. That's how much of a rush they were in to get this thing in the can. 
At the time, I really didn't think much of it. And I pretty much forgot about it after a while. For the shot of the house dissolving, Project Unlimited painted an actual hemispherical brain that was superimposed over a mansion on a hill. And finally, this little bit of trivia actually comes from IMDB. During his acceptance speech for his role in As Good As It Gets, actor Jack Nicholson mentioned Lana Anders, among a few other names, stating, They are not here anymore, but they are in my heart. So that's going to do it for the guests. If you'd like to share your thoughts and memories of the show, you can send an email or audio clip to victor at theouterlimitspodcast.com. You can find the show on Twitter by searching at Outer Limits Pod. The show also has an Instagram page, which you can find by searching The Outer Limits Podcast. So that's it for me. Join me next time when I cover episode 27 of season 1, titled Fun and Games. Until that time, I am Victor Gamboa, and I now return control to you.